You're listening to Astroscope, astrology podcast by Mark Lerner and Great Bear Enterprises. This podcast is sponsored by Buzzword Consulting and Forfame.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mark Lerner Astrology Radio Astroscope series of podcasts. This is our podcast number 60. It is Wednesday, August 26, 2020, in the early evening out on the Pacific Northwest, with Aquarius rising, I might add, and after offering the astrology of Mars retrograde at the USA 2020 elections, we now present the dawning of the age of Aquarius takes 90 plus years. This new podcast includes the chart for the all-important next Jupiter-Saturn conjunction at one degree Aquarius on December 21, 2020, plus the cover image of our Welcome to Planet Earth astrology magazine from November, December 1998 that included this horoscope 22 years ago. Overall, this is the 60th podcast offered to the public since May of 2019. Now, Um, There's going to be dozens of podcasts coming down the pike here, as I've shared before, after the last one about Mars retrograde, which begins September 9th and ends November 13th, where there's going to be three Mars Eris conjunctions. You'll, if you listen to that last podcast, you'll learn a whole lot about the planet Mars through history at American elections, the significance of it being retrograde at various Uh, election times, particularly in the 1800s, every 32 years in a certain pattern, and that we're having it again. And I'll also be sharing more about the combinations of Venus and Mars and so many other types of podcasts. Now, I'm going to read actually from this article from 22 years ago, uh, which the title was The Dawning of Aquarius, 1996 to 2087. So that dates uh, pretty much the concept that this actually was created by me um, back in the 1990s. And I will also um, mention a little bit about the cover image. But in order to see both the chart for the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction uh, based in Washington, D.C., December 21, 2020, which is now updated because we've discovered planets like Eris and Sedna far away beyond Pluto, Uh, Although the chart framework is still the same, it's still the same time exactly and the same rising sign uh, and rising degree that was printed 22 years ago, which shows the astrology software and all those kind of things are exactly the same as they were 22 years ago. So if you go to our website at greatbearenterprise.com, there is a section for all of the podcasts and you can see the different charts. For example, Recently, I was reviewing that back uh, in May of 2019, um, Podcast 4 actually has an election night chart uh, for New York City. And I don't remember all the things I said in that podcast, but I'm going to be giving a full series of podcasts on both the election, the election night, uh, the, the times before and after, new moons, full moons, different cycles. There's a big eclipse in December between the election and the next inauguration, and also quite a bit of podcasting about the inauguration. However, to introduce this subject, we're all thinking for decades about 
um, the, the change of one sign to another over a 2000 year period, the so-called age of Aquarius and its dawning. Uh, you'll remember many of you, the song of the dawning of the age of Aquarius, um, by the fifth dimension, or many of you will, I think from at least the 1960s when that came out. Um, but what I'd like to do actually, uh, many of you know that I was, uh, been a student of what's called the arcane school, the teachings of Alice A. Bailey. She was, uh, the channel for an extraordinary person, the Tibetan master DK. And before I was living at Findhorn in the late 1970s, I was privileged to be a part of, um, this particular center right near the United Nations in New York. It, um, and I've told many of you to go to www.lucistrust.org, L-U-C-I-S-T-R-U-S-T.org. Plenty of complimentary information, booklets, uh, different cards, bo bookmarks, but also the sale of over two dozen books, extraordinary metaphysical, spiritual information about so many different things. So I've been studying so many of these books now for 40 plus years and they never get old. There's always so much enlightenment. I want to read from two sources before I start this because it relates back to this idea of Aquarius and um, give you some ideas. Now what I will be sharing and what I wrote 22 years ago, there are many astrologers who have reported over the decades, this is when they think uh, the, the Aquarian age will begin for these reasons and so on. So I'm um, I will read from my own article, and I haven't reread this in 22 years, so I will be reading it audio style uh, in a kind of refresher for myself, but for all of you. So, of course, one of the big things is just to be thinking about where is Aquarius uh, in your birth chart? Do you have planets in that sign? So as you hear what I'm about to say, uh, this 11th sign of the zodiac and from the ancient idea of the 11th constellation. Of course, there's a difference now between the so-called constellations of the star groups that were part of original astrology and what we use in the West, what's called the tropical zodiac of the 12 signs of the zodiac. I don't even know if I, I probably mention it somewhere and that's a whole other area of astrology. But right now in Western astrology, um, I wanted to share this partly because tonight Aquarius is rising. I happen to be born when Aquarius is rising. There are a lot of momentous events in American history that have occurred with Aquarius rising, and I will refer to them at some other points. However, just to, I will just add on that just as now, um, the approximately the 19th degree of Aquarius r was rising, this was also the, the rising point when the Wright brothers took off from um, Kill Devil, Devil's Hill uh, for the first powered air flight in North Carolina um, back in December of 1903. And there's an exact time for that. And it was in a childhood book that I actually had, among other things. I gave an exact time because it was such an extraordinary event. And there was 19 plus of Aquarius rising. That's also, unfortunately, the degree when our beloved president, at least to me, beloved, uh, regardless of the things that we find out about all presidents, their dark sides, their different histories. Um, when he was assassinated in Dallas on that Black Friday, November 22nd, 1963, and I've shared more about that. Um, we still have the article uh, in our Earth Aquarius News website, The Wound That Never Heals, of America's Turning Point in the 20th Century, which has a, an extraordinary cover image there. 
and you can read what I wrote there. I've shared before, including I think the, in the last podcast, that in addition to my studies of nuclear and atomic energy and that history, which goes back about 32 years, when I first got into astrology uh, in the 1973, 74, 1975 time period, the first lecture I ever gave at what's called the National Council for Geocosmic Research, or what we call the NCGR in New York City, was about President Kennedy and his murder and the sort of spiritual side of it from a kind of dark way of um, the murder, the the moment of time and so on. And when that happened, because that was also an exact time, we have 19 plus of Aquarius rising. Uh, from the birth certificate of uh, Barack Obama in Hawaii, um, which I do believe is a valid birth certificate, and that's where he was born. Uh, and there's a specific time. He is born with 19 of Aquarius on the horizon. There's a lot of confluence with those particular energies. And also something I'll be sharing in the near future, which I wrote about in Welcome to Planet Earth as cover stories. This will be coming down the pike. I, I don't want to give it all away. But um, I've shared a lot of... Uh, about uh, in these podcasts going back all the way to May of 2019, the first 17 of them were about the United States secondary progressed sun and secondary progressed Pallas Athena merging, which had never happened before, won't happen again for 400 plus years. And that has to do with progressions, not transits, not the natal chart. We're going to be sharing more about the importance of progressions. But back in the 1990s, the United States from July 4th, 1776, had a progressed new moon, and that new moon was at 19 plus of Aquarius. So 19 degrees Aquarius, that particular area, in what we call the regular zodiac, is very powerful in American history. It keeps coming up at strategic points, and right now, that is the degree that is rising now as I'm going back to this particular storyline. Now, I want to read from pages 440 to 441 of A Treatise on White Magic, an extraordinary book, which is by Alice A. Bailey. Um, but she channeled that through her teacher, the, the Tibetan master DK. If you go to lucistrust.org and get into the Bailey material, you'll learn much more about that. After this, I want to read just a little bit from the end of another book called The Destiny of the Nations, one of the last books uh, that Alice A. Bailey was the channel for in a 30-year cycle from 1919 to 1949 with the Tibetan Master DK. Uh, and this is a particularly great book. If, if there are people out there, aside from your love of natal astrology and your own chart and learning about um, your cycles and your progressions, I, I've shared before, you can get all kinds of computerized reports from our astrology shop. If you know your birth time, terrific things. Um, Skylog reports that have your trans end progressions, uh, timeline reports, and all sorts of other ones. And I've shared a lot about the asteroids. We have a great one called the Four Asteroids and Chiron Report. So, so do take a look at um, our astrology shop at greatbearenterprise.com. After you listen to this, you'll want to be thinking more about where is Aquarius in your birth chart? What are the planets there? What house, what house or house areas? Is Aquarius in the upper part of your chart, the lower part? Is it rising in the east or setting in the west? Are uh, influences going through there every year in the January, February time when the sun is moving through there? Mercury and Venus every year are also go going to always go through Aquarius. 
and that will be a strategic time of Aquarian activities, which have a lot to do with group activities or group work and team sports and community fundraising energies, things that have to do with not just oneself, but with sharing with other people, uh, as well as connecting up with uh, globally with causes um, on our new app, the Astrology Cosmic Calendar app. If you subscribe, if you go beyond um, simply putting it on your phone to be able to to see the daily cosmic calendar I've been doing for 39 years, that's terrific to put it on your phone. But for somewhat pennies a day, you can subscribe for a year, for six months, for one month, and then you can use um, the, what's called the Cosmic Chat. And in there, we're connecting up the whole concept of goodwill and world goodwill, which has been a part of Lucis Trust, the Arcane School, Lucis Publishing, that entire organization and all these great teachings, world goodwill. So I've created this opportunity. It's kind of like a mini Facebook, um, but it, it, it's only there if, if you're part of the subscription. And every subscription does help the astro educational work that we've been a part of with Welcome to Planet Earth. Uh, in the 80s and 90s, and on various websites, and all the new things that we're providing, both on the Great Bear Enterprises website, Global Hotspots, Earth Aquarius News, Astro Business Keys, many of these are all complimentary, including this podcast section. So back to our storyline. Um, I'm, I'm reading from these two particular sources, although there are many others that the Tibetan Master DK through Alice A. Bailey shared over the years, but I just sort of found these appropriate before I read from the actual cover story uh, for this particular um, podcast. So here's directly just quoting from pages 440 and 441 from the remarkable book, A Treatise on White Magic. One thing astrologers need at this time to do, and that is to make due allowance for this transition period out of Pisces into Aquarius. This is seldom done. But it is evident that the tremendous turmoil incident to these transitions affects the individual chart and frequently offsets individual destiny or karma. People are submerged in planetary and racial destinies and their own tiny affairs are, off, are offset almost entirely and sometimes completely negated. Let me ask, let me pause to mention this time of COVID, pandemics, the elections in America, these these crises over over where people are, are living and whether you can afford um, to live your life, kids going to school, um, elimination of, of health care for people who have had jobs, losing their jobs, losing health insurance, and so many other things uh, having to do with food and, and just the safety or the non-safety of what's happening and the truth or the lack of truth in terms of various levels of government. We're all suffering through that. So when uh, these words were written, which was decades ago, just think, and I will start again here, about how people's charts can get offset. So again, um, this transition period that the Tibetan master DK speaks of, transi transition period out of Pisces into Aquarius. So think about this now in 2020. This is seldom done, but it is evident that the tremendous turmoil incident to these transitions affects the individual chart and frequently offsets individual destiny or karma. People are submerged in planetary and racial destinies, and their own tiny affairs are offset 
almost entirely and sometimes completely negated. It is not possible to cast the horoscope of the planet, and those who propose to do so are deceiving themselves and others. The horoscope of the fourth kingdom in nature of humanity will eventually be cast, but it will be done by initiates, and these the and there are no initiate astrologers working on the physical plane at this time one t one hint here i give the sun was in sagittarius when the first human tendencies struggled to the fore now this is a reference to the age of aquarius not necessarily the sign so he's saying the sun was in aquarius when the first human tendencies struggled to the fore the stage of animal man was completed, and when Sagittarius was dominant from our planetary standpoint, I am using words with care, the, the great event of individualization took place, but the brain of the then human being failed to register what had happened. In the words of the old commentary, and now he's quoting from that source, quote, the sons of God shot forth like arrows from the bow, the forms received the impulse, and lo, a God was born, the tiny babe knew not the great event, unquote. Now he says again, this took place 21 million years ago. Cycles passed and when at a later date the sun was in Leo, again that's the constellation, constellational Leo and over a 2,000 year period of time. Cycles passed and when at a later date the sun was in Leo, approximately 18 million years ago, the first instances of coordination between brain and mind took place and the human being was definitely self-conscious. He registered his individuality. The figures, and this is amazing, I'm adding now, the figures for the first date, though exactitude is not possible in a system of mutation, mutations such as ours, are 21,688,345 years ago. Now, again, I'm pausing here. He, The Tibetan master actually gives out, and I don't know exactly what year a trio on white magic came through, um, I believe it was in the 1940s, because the cycle went from 1919 to 1949 of publishing about two dozen books or so. So again, he's saying that this uh, cycle of the sun being in Leo for 2,000 plus years was a kind of advanced energy from the Sagittarian cycle from um, several cycles before or several million years before. And um, that he actually gives this number out that there is a date for this uh, event, 21,688,345 years ago. So uh, who's going to argue with that? Uh, okay, he keeps on. I'll finish up here. These figures are useless at this time, for they can neither be proved correct nor incorrect. Later investigation will prove their usefulness when the nature of time is better understood. Sagittarius governs human evolution, for it symbolizes progress towards a conscious goal. Leo governs the human consciousness in the human kingdom for the energy pouring through. It enables the human being to say, quote, I am, unquote. Now, he goes on after that, but I'm going to stop at that point. But I do want to reference that it's interesting that even tonight, August 26th, the moon is in Sagittarius and Vesta, which has a lot to do, it's as the el the eldest, the sister asteroid of the four main asteroid series, Pallas, Athena, June, and Vesta. Vesta has just entered Leo in the last few days, and so Vesta is now in Leo, this particular 2,000-year cycle that the Tibetan master is referring to, and the moon, which goes around the zodiac every 27 and a third days, is in Sagittarius. So there are connections, and part of the reason why I'm reading this tonight. The destiny of the nations 
which anyone is in, who's into mundane earth astrology, I would recommend. It's a rather thin volume, only 150 some odd pages with all kinds of amazing charts and energies about nations in the world and different keynotes and extraordinary things that are actually part of my um, Mysteries of Venus. Um, I might as well mention that again. Mysteries of Venus is uh, the book that is out of print, but which I uh, self-published in 1986. I will be referring back to the power of Venus, and I will also refer to the Venus position at the Jupiter-Saturn uh, at the end of this podcast of where Venus is on December 21, 2020, because it's quite significant for Americans and the United States. So um, Venus is very much involved in all of this, and in different sources, Venus is considered um, a sub-ruler or a ruler of one of the decanates, one of the uh, three divisions of the sign Aquarius. And that's partly because Venus is said to rule Libra, and within uh, I, I think I referred to this in the Dawning of Aquarius article that I will read, but there are three divisions of every sign. They're called decanates. Uh, this has been part of astrology for hundreds of years, if not for a couple of thousand years. There's ways of looking at each sign and seeing subsections that refer back to the element. So Aquarius being an air sign, it's divided into three subsections, one of which is double Aquarius. Another one has a Gemini keynote for 10 degrees, and another one has a Libran keynote for 10 degrees, and therefore Venus rules that particular energy. So that's referred to in my Mysteries of Venus book, and we've got uh, the Astrology in Five podcasts, which are on the app. And that is where I'm reading from Mysteries of Venus, and will continue to do so. And I will share much more about the Mysteries of Venus in another podcast. Okay, so the destiny of the nations. Um, I'm going to read from the very end of this, and then we'll we'll jump into the actual article I wrote, and we'll look at the chart for the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction for December 21, 2020. And hopefully this is going to sort of allow a wake-up of the Aquarian part of your destiny, the Aquarian energies of your loved ones, your friends, your associates, as you look at people around, um, people running for office, whether president or senators and Congress people and local offices, and just friends, mayors, governors, uh, people who run your business or um, that you're a part of a business, you want to start looking at Aquarius because it is going to become more and more significant, mainly because the two largest planets, as I'll explain, are moving into Aquarius, and this is going to change everything. It has to do with what's called the Great Mutational Cycle that takes 794 years, and so we're. this is part of the turmoil that's actually happening over the last several years, if not over the last 20 years, since Jupiter and Saturn were last together, they were in Taurus back in the Gore-Bush epic or disaster of the fall of 2000, uh, that election, Jupiter and Saturn were in Taurus. And now Jupiter and Saturn are coming together, and here we go. Nothing's been resolved with our elections. It's gotten worse. We have too many crazy things going on. Um, as I've shared before, so disappointing that after 20 years with the hanging chads in Florida and that whole election going to the Supreme Court, which should, should never have happened, the whole thing should have not occurred, and truly uh, Al Gore should have been the President of the United States, but from both left, right, center, and all kinds of kafui things, particularly having to do with how elections are run and how the states often mess things up, um, we never have solved that problem, and here we are with a worse predicament. So I'll be sharing more about um, 
that whole situation with mail-in voting and the election and so on. I'm preparing a very important podcast on that subject that may be the next one or the one after this. So finishing up page 150 to 152, just to give you the broader perspective from what I consider a more objective, universal source. And again, um, in all of those uh, books at Lucis Trust and Lucis Publishing, um, there's a statement. It's called an extract from a statement by the Tibetan. Uh, it's always at the beginning of these books. It's from August 1934, where he shares about the importance of what he's sharing, but not to take it as the gospel truth. If something doesn't agree, he wants you to think about it. One of the terms that is considered through all of this, and in fact, eventually, uh, Lucis Publishing came up with a book all on this, uh, ponder on this. He uses that phrase for the neophytes, the disciples, the people that are part of the arcane school and a part of this teaching and this area. By the way, the arcane school developed out of the Theosophical Society and other esoteric arcane organizations that were established in the 1800s and then evolved and so on. So it's not as if Lucis Trust, Lucis Publishing, the arcane school, these teachings, a lot of the free literature, all kinds of things about world goodwill, triangles, um, so many of the things that I value and I think are very important, which is why I'm sharing about them. It's not just one organization. It's part of a whole historical connection to metaphysics, to spirituality, and it goes way, way back in time, way before the Theosophical Society and other organizations. So we're talking about thousands of years and millions of years, really, from an esoteric standpoint. Okay, so I'm just going to read from here. And again, some of this, if you're not into religion or Christianity, you might be thinking, well, why is Mark talking about the Christ? Why is he talking about Christianity in this way? I have studied many world religions, many philosophies. I do not necessarily align with only one. I think it's important and also sad um, that over thousands of years we have had religious wars, We and yet at the same time, uh, the idea of people having a belief, belief system in the divine, in spirituality, God, goddesses, and so on. All of this is obviously important for most people. Of course, there are agnostics, there are atheists. Um, there are so many people have, of different persuasions. So I'm just sharing with everyone, and this is mean, this is meaningful because of how it's written and why it's written. It doesn't mean that every single word that I'm going to share is like to me, oh yeah, like I have to believe it. I just want to share it because I think it gives a perspective about Aquarius. Here's what the Tibetan master says at the end of the Destiny of the Nations. Then followed, as we are told in the New Testament, a cycle of 30 years wherein all we know is that the infant Jesus grew to manhood and could then take the second initiation, the baptism in Jordan, and begin his public service. Today, the many who in this life have taken the first initiation, which is, by the way, called the birth of, of the Christ in the human heart, um, he says, to today, the many who in this life have taken the first initiation are entering the long silence of that symbolic 30 years, wherein they too will grow to manhood and take the second initiation. By the way, I'm sorry for the masculine terminology here in some of these books. Um, he was or is a male figure, and so he often uses the male term. So I don't mean to offend women or any of us when he uses that term. Okay, so... Back to the story, um, the Tibetan master DK says, this initiation, the second uh, initiation, the baptism, 
demonstrates the complete control of the emotional nature and of all Piscean characteristics. The 30 years time can be looked upon as a period of spiritual unfoldment during the three divisions into which Aquarius and consequently the new age now upon us will be divided. I refer to what is technically known as the three decans of each sign. In this sign, the waters of the Piscean age will, symbolically speaking, be absorbed into the water pot carried on the shoulder of Aquarius in the symbol which is distinctive of the sign, for Aquarius is the water carrier, bringing the water of life to the people, life more abundantly. In the Aquarian age, the risen Christ is himself the water carrier. He will not this time demonstrated demonstrate the perfective life of a son of God, which was his main mission before, he will appear as a supreme head of the spiritual hierarchy, meeting the need of the thirsty nations of the world, thirsty for truth, for right human relations, and for loving understanding. He will be recognized this time by all, and his in his own person will testify to the fact of the resurrection, and hence demonstrate the paralleling fact of the immortality of the soul of the spiritual human being. The emphasis during the past 2,000 years has been on death. It has colored all the teaching of the Orthodox churches. Only one day in the year has been dedicated to the thought of the resurrection. The emphasis in the Aquarian age will be on life and freedom from the tomb of matter, and this is the note which will distinguish the new world religion from all that have preceded it. The festival of Easter and the festival of Pentecost will be the two outstanding days of the religious year. Pentecost is, as you must well know, the symbol of right human relations in which all men and nations will understand each other and, though speaking in many and diverse languages, will know only one spiritual speech. It is significant that two important episodes are related in the final part of the gospel story, one preceding and one following immediately after the apparent death of Christ. They are, number one, the story of the upper chamber to which the man carrying the water pot and typifying Aquarius led the disciples and in which the first communion service was held, participated in by all and foretelling that great relationship which will distinguish humanity in the coming age after the tests of the Piscean age. Such a communion service has never yet been held, but the new age will see it take place. Number two, the story of the upper chamber in which the disciples met and arrived at a true recognition of the risen Christ and at a perfect and complete understanding of each other in spite of the symbolic diversity of tongues. They had a, they had a touch of prevision of prophetic insight and foresaw a little of the wonder of the Aquarian age. The vision in men's minds today is that of the Aquarian age, even if they recognize it not. The future will see right relations, true communion, a sharing of all things, wine, the blood, the life and bread, economic satisfaction, and goodwill. We have also a picture of the future of humanity when all nations are united in complete understanding and the diversity of languages, symbolic of differing traditions, cultures, civilizations, and points of view, will provide no barrier to right human relations. At the center of each of these pictures is to be found the Christ. Thus, the expressed aims and efforts of the United Nations will be eventually brought to fruition, and a new Church of God gathered out of all religions and spiritual groups, will unitedly bring to an end the great heresy of separateness. Love, unity, and the risen Christ will be present, and he will demonstrate to us the perfect life. So there's that, uh, and hopefully that will give you a sense of inspiration. It's a particular source. Um, I do, again, suggest going to lucistrust.org 
going also if you do subscribe which i encourage doesn't cost that much in our new app which i which is the cosmic calendar every day i've been doing it for 39 years i just did a podcast two podcasts ago i guess number 58 i think it was about the importance of the cosmic calendar and why you need it because we're all walking cosmic calendars each of our birth charts we were a cosmic calendar moment frozen in time with all the planets the sun the moon the main planets the asteroids chiron um, the nodes of the moon the 12 houses and all the mathematical interactions those were cosmic calendar moments so everyone who's ever lived living now and will ever live we're all part of the cosmic calendar and if we don't study our own cosmic calendar moments which are in the daily cosmic calendar that i've been fortunate to do for 39 years but when you get the app it's free for that day if you decide to subscribe whether for a year six months or one month which is not that expensive you can go in the future and there's all kind of benefits that you have being able to set up meetings and appointments and knowing what the challenges and the opportunities are ahead of time. So it's a way to get into the future, just as this whole podcast is about this long term future. Before I get into this, uh, just simply reading, it's not that long of an article, so it only might take me 20 some odd minutes to share with you. And I may pause during it on the cover. And again, go you can get these podcasts in different places, but by going to greatbearenterprise.com to the Mark Lerner Astrology Radio Astroscope section, you'll see a whole area, a folder, where you can see the different charts and images for each podcast. On the cover of this Welcome to Planet Earth Astrology issue, you'll see the symbol of Aquarius, the Earth, you'll see the title on the cover being Dawning of Age of Aquarius Takes 90 Plus Years, and to the right, you'll see planets in Aquarius, and it may not be that easy to read, so I'm just going to mention them now. The planet Uranus was in Aquarius 1996 to 2003, but due to its 84-year cycle, it will come back. Uranus will be in Aquarius. Now, remember, Uranus is said after, after its discovery, March 13, 1781, that it, it rules Aquarius, and it took that rulership from Saturn, which traditionally ruled both the Earth sign of Capricorn and the air sign of Aquarius, so Uranus has an 84-year cycle. It was in Aquarius around the time I did this, 1996-2003, but in 2079 to 2087, which is kind of the end phase of this 90-plus year cycle that I'm referring to, Uranus will be back in Aquarius in its own sign. Now that's, what, 59 years from now, 59 to 67 years from now, uh, Uranus will be in Aquarius. Neptune has already just been in Aquarius, 1998 to 2012. So that Neptune energy was happening as I was doing this particular story and sharing that. And Neptune spends about 14 years in the sign of the Zodiac. It has a 164-year cycle, so we're not going to get Neptune back in Aquarius until the 22nd century. And that's why I didn't include the next Neptune cycle. However, now Chiron, which was discovered in 1977, um, Chiron has a cycle of about 50 plus years. In 2006 to 2011, Chiron was in Aquarius. Okay, so that's similar in time to when Neptune was there. And we therefore had Chiron-Neptune energies going on in a conjunction. But Chiron, because it has a 50-year cycle, 
and which is very powerful now. And in some of my podcasts, particularly about the coronavirus, about President Kennedy, I share about the Chiron discovery chart, the power of Chiron. Um, it's an extraordinary influence. It's considered one of the centaur bodies, which are often orbiting between Saturn, Uranus, but also beyond Uranus and beyond Neptune and into Pluto's territory as well. The next time Chiron will be in Aquarius is 2056 to 2061. So that's 36 years, yeah, 36 to 41 years from now, Chiron back in Aquarius, once again, reinforcing this kind of age of Aquarian, a uh, long cycle of nine plus decades at least. Jupiter conjunct Neptune was in Aquarius in 2009. Jupiter conjunct Saturn, 2020. Hey, does that ring a bell? That's now. So this was on the cover of the 1998 issue, Jupiter conjunct Saturn, along with the actual chart, in that magazine, the same chart I am reproducing now in color at the Great Bear Enterprises website with the addition of Eris and Sedna because we've now discovered them. So Jupiter conjunct Saturn, 2020, but also, guess what, 2080, because we get these cycles that will repeat. There's a 60-year cycle of 58 to 59 to 60 years. Wherever Jupiter was, it returns for the fifth time in about 60 years. And, and Saturn has a 29 plus year cycle, so it returns to where it was, not only every 29 years, but then every uh, 58 to 59 years. So there's the 60 year cycle of Jupiter and Saturn. It's not exact, but it is approximate. So for instance, um, 60 years ago, when President Kennedy was inaugurated, Jupiter and Saturn met in February um, after his January 20th 1961 inauguration that JFK had, this was in kind of the waning period of the previous Jupiter-Saturn cycle from 1940-41. And so Jupiter and Saturn were in what we call a balsamic sort of end phase of their 20-year cycle. And then a month after his inauguration, approximately, Jupiter and Saturn converged in Capricorn. By the way, it was in, on August 4th, 1961, that Barack Obama was born with Jupiter and Saturn both retrograde also in Capricorn. Now, eventually the, the Jupiter-Saturn energies both went into Aquarius um, later, uh, like during that year. Okay, so after February, Jupiter and Saturn went into Aquarius, then they went retrograde, then they came out of it. So basically we are now re rekindling the 1960 to 1961 time period. I don't know if I reference that at all, but it's something to keep aware of of Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius. So the prior president, Barack Obama, and this is interesting because who did he choose for running mate, Joe Biden, even though Joe Biden was born in a completely different time, much older than our last president, Barack Obama, Joe Biden is now running for president. He has uh, two asteroids, I believe, or two planets in Aquarius. I know that for sure, and they're close together. Um, our president of the United States might have one uh, planet in Aquarius or one asteroid. So they're not, neither one of them has a lot of Aquarius going on, but anything in Aquarius in your chart, loved ones chart, friends chart, co-workers chart, everything in Aquarius. And even if you don't have planets in Aquarius, it doesn't matter. It's still going to be significant because each person has 12 signs, no matter whether planets are there or not. By the way, one of the deeper studies that I've been involved with for many decades, but I don't always talk about it, are midpoints. The middle points between each planet or a planet at an angle. And there's a, um, a close midpoint or what's called a near midpoint and a far midpoint. So in all birth charts, we've got midpoints. 
we've got in the transits and in the different progress systems, there is a whole bunch of other kind of astrology going on that in your readings, or if you do your own consultations for yourself or loved ones, or you get them done, at some point, you may want to get a deeper one done to see what are the primary midpoint structures in your birth chart or in transits, uh, progressions. They can be very fascinating, and not just fascinating, impact your life. Bringing two different planets or a planet and an angle together, going over a significant point in your, your chart and so on. So uh, the last two images on the cover, uh, okay, so just to repeat this, Jupiter and Saturn were in Aquarius, 1960 to 61, excuse me, 1961 uh, into part of 62, uh, which included the Cuban Missile Crisis in the fall of that year, uh, particularly with Saturn being in Aquarius. And so I, I may actually refer to this in the article, but right now we've got the Jupiter and Saturn about to go into Aquarius. We have the same thing. They're both in Capricorn. They've been sort of, uh, Saturn actually went into early Aquarius early this year, Jupiter didn't. And of course, we've had these conjunctions, Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, Pallas, Athena has been a part of that in Capricorn. Saturn was the only one of these, uh, well, actually, uh, Pallas, Athena did hit zero of Aquarius and then went backward. Saturn hit two degrees of Aquarius, then went backward. We're starting to get this Aquarian energy of Jupiter and Saturn, but not completely. So that's why when we get to 2000, to uh, December 21, Finally, at that point of this year, both Jupiter and Saturn go into Aquarius, and then they rekindle a lot of the events and the psychology and the sociology and the history and both the, the gains and the failures of what the world went through in 61-62. And that was not an easy time period because the, we almost destroyed our planet, particularly in October of that year of 1962. And before you knew it, then the president of the United States was murdered the following November of 63. So the Jupiter-Saturn energies, Capricorn into Aquarius, they already, we had these events of the beginning of the JFK administration, the hazards with particularly the Soviet Union and Khrushchev, with Castro, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and all these other kind of things. So just that itself is a kind of precarious understanding of what's going on, because the 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 two largest planets, Jupiter and Saturn, are the big movers and shakers in our solar system. When, we, when we're looking up close at them through NASA and all these different missions, they look amazing. They're incredible, and they have dozens and dozens of moons each. So physically, I mean, they're extraordinary. But astronomically and astrologically, there's a whole other history. So 2020, we're going to have this thing. It's coming down the pike. It has a lot to do with all kinds of changes. I will share more about all of this in another podcast because now that we have the pandemic where we have to deal with things like um, transmission of viruses through the air or through being close to people in indoors or outdoors and our own lives are at stake here, um, this is a different nuance than what astrologers were thinking about Jupiter and Saturn, say, last year or the year before. People weren't thinking about pandemics that could sweep through. I mean, there were people thinking about it, epidemiologists, different doctors and different researchers, but they weren't thinking about it from the astrology sign that the two largest planets are going into one of the air signs and that for the next 880 years, we're in a mutation, what's called a mutation that happens every 794 years where these planets, which always come together every 20 years, are suddenly going to be going through the air signs. 
not the earth signs where they've been going since 1841, except for the anomalous year of uh, 1980-81, uh, when, when Jupiter and Saturn were in Libra. And that is a normal occurrence that in about a 180-year cycle, what will, what will happen in the 22nd century, there'll be a cycle where Jupiter and Saturn won't be in the air sign. Uh, I think they shift into water at that point, but it'll suddenly be an, ano an anomalous Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, which won't be in air, then it'll go back to air, and then eventually it'll go in the next element. Pluto. Pluto has not yet gone into Aquarius. Okay, Pluto has a 240-year, seven-year cycle, and I've been sharing for a long time, as many other mundane astrologers have. Part of the precarious nature of the United States as we were born as a country at the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776, Pluto was in late Capricorn. Um, and then right after the, the United States was born and in the Revolutionary War time period, Pluto went into early Aquarius. Well, Pluto is going to return to its Capricorn position three times in 2022 for America. I've shared before, we have a plutocracy now, whether you like them or not, which is government by the wealthy. And as we know, wealth can often corrupt. And as we know from Machiavelli, uh, from what, the 14 or 1500s, uh, from the prince, uh, we often have um, corruption on an, an extreme level. Absolute power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's a quote or quotation. I guess it's in Italian originally, but I think that's uh, the general idea. So um, regardless of whether you are on the right, on the left, in the middle, or completely way off on the left or right politically or socially, we all know um, that it is somewhat dangerous for extremely wealthy people to have extraordinary power. I mean, we can see it in social networking now uh, over the years where um, whether it's Steve Jobs or um, uh, Bill, Bill Gates or now Mark Zuckerberg and others and other people, particularly in high tech area, where they're often come up with an amazing idea. They're either in college or they have dropped out of college and suddenly they, you know, they may have $80 billion or $100 billion. Now, again, we have other people who've climbed up the ladder and have done things differently, uh, whether in this country or other countries. And of course, we've had a, a lot of these people are charitable and do some extraordinary things. So it's not all bad. However, um, we have seen now this rise of autocratic power, and often we don't see how money and wealth and power and influences because so much gets hidden. And plutocracy co connects up to Pluto, the planet of the underworld. And so very often we don't, we're not seeing the truth. We're not seeing the reality, even though um, leaders in this country and other countries will often say, hey, we're being completely open. You know, everything is transparent. Well, is it or is it not? And it's not just the people in executive branch. We have this these issues in the legislative branch. We have them in the judicial branch. And again, in technology and throughout our whole society. So Pluto going into Aquarius, 20 year cycle, 2024 to 2044. Pluto is a planet of death and rebirth, of extremes, of exploring uh, the underworld, research and in-depth studies, investigations and things like that, plunging below the surface. Things like hypnosis and parapsychology and mysteries and secrets and so on. So we're going to have a Pluto cycle, 2024, 2044, and then Jupiter conjunct Pluto, they will come together in 2033. 
in Aquarius. Um, so this is an interesting cycle. And again, um, Jupiter itself will have these 12 year cycles just by itself going in Aquarius. So we've got Jupiter now in Aquarius and 12 years from now, it'll be there again in, in uh, this 19, uh, excuse me, in 2032, 2033. And then 12 years later, there'll be Jupiter Aquarius. And of course, every year, the Sun, Mercury and Venus, they have annual cycles um, in Aquarius. And every two years, Mars goes in that sign. So you can start exploring more of these uh, energies at your leisure. So I'm going to take a sip of water here and we're going to get into the story. And I will end with a little bit of extra analysis about the chart for December 1, 2020. Okay, so the cover story from 1998, 22 years ago. Here it goes. Near the end of 1961, some astrologers in India began predicting the end of the world. Why? They pointed to a rare conjunction of seven solar systemic bodies in Aquarius that would occur from February 3rd to February 5th, 1962 in the sign of Aquarius. At that time, utilizing the Western Tropical Zodiac, there would be a total solar eclipse in mid-Aquarius, a power point in the Zodiac, plus the five traditional astrological planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, would also be in Aquarius and clustered around the total solar eclipse. Well, the world did not end, although eight months later, the Cuban Missile Crisis almost brought us to the brink of global catastrophe. Instead, there began a stirring up of political, social, religious, economic, scientific, artistic, musical, cultural, and educational changes, revolts, and revolutions that staggered our planet. That early February 1962 rare alignment of celestial bodies did trigger something within humanity, and even the song Age of Aquarius became a kind of anthem for the possibility of a renaissance in human society worldwide. Oddly enough, just as we are currently experiencing a waxing square of Saturn and Neptune in the Zodiac, 1998 to 1999, the last time this occurred, which is, again, I'm just referring to the Saturn and Neptune square, the last time this occurred was in 1962-63, just following the seeding of the Aquarian Age back in February 1962. Saturn and Neptune in square formation helped to create a lot of chaos in society, but later on there can be a clearing of the air. I've been feeling for a long time the need to help answer one of the key questions astrologers are asked. When does the Aquarian age begin? Esteemed astrologers have given their opinions for decades, and some of the times range from the late 1900s all the way toward the year 2500 and beyond. However, most astrologers have focused on the end of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st century uh, as likely springboards for the full-fledged start of a new age lasting some 2160 years. The great astrologer Dane Rudyard gave an estimate of the year 2060 as the launching of the age of Aquarius, and he explained in depth why that time seems significant. Now I'd like you to tune into the beautiful cover drawing for this issue. While you're doing that, meditate on the list of seven major planetary cycles and our conjunctions shown on the cover that will energize the 11th sign of the zodiac Aquarius from now to 2087. And again, that's what I just did. Uh, 
as a prelude. Okay, back to the story. We have to realize that an age lasting 2,160 years doesn't start on one day in one year or even one decade. The Tibetan Master DK discussing this concept through his channel, Alice A. Bailey and Esoteric Astrology, Lucis Publishing Company, even suggested that the shift time between ages might be estimated at 500 years, a generous time period accounting for the moving in and out of vast cosmic vibrations and energies. With the rise of computer technology, satellites, fiber optics, instant communications, and the World Wide Web, we may be under the false impression that the Aquarian Age is definitely here at long last. However, the world situation is still dire. Nuclear bombs can destroy our civilization in a flash. The global financial picture is completely out of whack and also completely unfair to billions of human beings. We may also be destroying the Earth with fossil fuels and creating a runaway greenhouse effect that will be felt intensively in the decades to come. Humanity has a long way to go before it truly enters a new age. That's why I selected the idea of 90 plus year cycle, time cycle, starting with the present seven year Uranus transit of Aquarius, 1996 to 2003, and ending with the next seven year Uranus transit in Aquarius, 2079 to 2087 as bookend markers for the total dawning of the Aquarian age. Within this period of two Uranus and Aquarius cycles, we will experience Neptune and Pluto in Aquarius for extended periods. And pardon me while I turn the page here. Chiron, excuse me. Chiron in Aquarius twice. Jupiter, Neptune, and Jupiter-Pluto unions in Aquarius. And two very profound Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions in Aquarius. And it feels to me that the first Jupiter-Saturn union in Aquarius since 1405 AD, the one on December 21, 2020, chart displayed in this feature, may truly reflect a major birthing of Aquarian Age energies. Now I'm going to repeat this, folks. This is on page 53 of the, well, we actually called it the October, November, December 1998 issue. That's almost 22 years ago. The chart is in there for what's going to happen this December. The chart is in there. And now in bold and italics, what I wrote on page 53 is the following again. It feels to me that the first Jupiter-Saturn union Aquarius since 1405 AD, the one on December 21, 2020, chart displayed in this feature, may truly reflect a major birthing of Aquarian age energies. Why? Because it is when all of this Aquarian impulse reaches Jupiter and Saturn, the two largest planets of the solar system, that human society really starts changing. We often forget this in our study of astrology, and particularly with our attunement to the outer planets, Chiron and the asteroids. In ancient and medieval astrology, the weightiness and significance of Jupiter and Saturn within human culture were never doubted. That was partly because they were the outermost planets before the discovery of Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and Chiron. But literally our whole solar system holds together, astronomically, physically, and scientifically, because of the ordering principles and powers exerted by Jupiter and Saturn in the entire system of planets. The great Jupiter-Saturn union of December 21, 2020 not only occurs at zero plus Aquarius, the doorway into Aquarius, but it also begins a period of 180 to 200 years of Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions in the air element. 
This chart is therefore a great, great mutation chart in the air element. Thinking, intuition, higher mind, education, communication, air travel, inventions, revolution, and I'm going to add here now, on August 26, 2020, the specter of pandemics and problems having to do with transmission of viruses and illnesses which are happening through breathing and through the air. So while we've had these different epidemics, this is now I'm sharing, I didn't write this 22 years ago because we weren't thinking about it in that way. Now, maybe some astrologers were, and if they were, they should come out with what they shared because that would be very psychic and very amazing. But because the air element represents air, we now are faced with this other kind of problem and the climate problem too. What we're seeing in California, what we're seeing in different parts of the world, with ice caps melting, with fires, with the extremes of weather in the winter and the summer, smoke, all kinds of different things that are happening. The, the power of hurricanes, one happening right now, Laura on the, on the heels of Marco hitting Louisiana 15 years after Katrina. And when we don't focus on hurricanes and tornadoes and these other events and we forget about that, we have to do social distancing. These are now extraordinary things that demand not just for America with FEMA, Homeland Security, mayors, governors, our neighborhoods, loving each other, caring for one another, protecting each other. I mean, if we don't get our act together, then how many of these decades in Aquarius are we going to have? And not just Aquarius, but in the air signs. So I'm just adding that. And again, at this point, which is near the end of the article, I had mentioned this chart is therefore a great mutation chart in the air element. And I said at that point, 22 years ago, with these keynotes, thinking, intuition, higher mind, education, communication, air travel, inventions, revolution. Had I said at that point, um, virus uh, contamination and pandemics, then we truly have had a Nostradamus moment, but I didn't share that. Uh, okay. Finishing the story. Then in 2080, March 14 of that year, Jupiter and Saturn will meet again at 11 plus degrees of Aquarius with Uranus at four plus of Aquarius. To have Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus all in Aquarius during a precise Jupiter-Saturn union is extremely significant. And this is something that did not occur in early February 1962 when we had the rare alignment of seven planetary bodies in Aquarius. Uranus then was at the end of Leo. Before concluding this time, note as well that during this Jupiter-Saturn union of 2020, I'm, this, I'm laughing because this is stealing my own thunder as I looked at the, the newly created chart that's on the Great Bear website. In color, it looks really nice. We're adding Eris and Sedna because they weren't discovered. I wanted to present something about Venus being in Sagittarius, and I actually wrote the same thing 22 years ago. So here's what I wrote. Before concluding this time, note as well that during the Jupiter-Saturn union of 2020, Venus at seven plus degrees Sagittarius will be exactly sitting atop the United States ascendant rising sign. And I put an exclamation point there. A great opportunity for our nation to seize the imagination of the world and help ignite a 60 plus year cycle of Aquarian age adventures for all of humanity. Will we rise to the occasion as a species over the next 90 years and help make the earth into the sacred planet is destined to be? Or will our petty differences and negative, greedy, selfish, and overly materialistic urges hold sway? 
creating mass chaos, nuclear destruction, and planet-wide ecological and health disasters? Question mark. In a future article, we will look more deeply at the Aquarian Age cycles to come, especially Pluto's movement in the sign from 2024 to 2044. For the moment, realize that all our dreams, ideals, and visions don't have to occur in the next couple of years. We're just beginning to taste the Aquarian Age potential. Think literally of a near future of mental telepathy, time travel, perhaps via the intuition and higher planes, contacts with ETs, clairvoyance, clairaudience, past life and even future life recall, great advances in medicine, science, technology, and environmental protection. I actually wrote all that 22 years ago to repeat, great advances in medicine, science, technology, and environmental protection. There is some time, and in time I had it in all caps and bold, there is some time, perhaps as much as nine decades akin, akin to a pregnancy cycle of nine months, to birth a real, solid Aquarian age, an age where humanity and the earth as a whole actually go through a bona fide spiritual initiation. That is the end of that story. Um, and having not reread that in 22 years, almost 22 years, it affects me pretty strongly. So um, it's bewildering to me that I did this in an hour, because as you know, I either do five-minute podcasts, Astrology in Five, right now reading from my book, Mysteries of Venus, or I do two to three hours. Actually, when we started all these podcasts in May of 2019, about the United States progress, secondary progress sun, and the secondary progress palace Athena. Those podcasts were pretty short. There was like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and I was new to all of this. I've never done this before, as, again, many pod, podcasters were doing things, but um, I wasn't able to start all this until that time period around the Mueller report and things were happening in 2019. Anyway, a couple of words here about the chart itself. Again, uh, when you wherever you get the podcast or listen to it, you should go to greatbearenterprises.com and to the Mark Lerner Astrology Radio Astroscope page because there's a whole bunch of stuff in there in the folder of all these different charts. So for this one, number 60, you will see a beautifully uh, 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 colored chart here. It has the, the beginning of Taurus rising. You'll see, interestingly enough, at least for Washington, D.C. Now, recognize this is a, a moment of time. Uh, this conjunction happens for everybody all over the world. You can relocate it. You can change it to any capital of any country. The conjunction, Jupiter-Saturn at zero degrees and 29 minutes of Aquarius, that will be the same. Every single celestial body in the chart will not change its zodiacal spot, so to speak. So, the moon is at 27 degrees, Pisces, 54 minutes of arc for Washington, D.C. in the 12th house with Chiron and Aries and Mars. And amazingly, this is how this links back to the, the other podcast, the last one I did. And I was not even planning to do this podcast tonight. For some reason, I decided to do this because the other podcasts I want to do are a little bit more complex. They will need two hours. This one only needed an hour. But you will possibly remember if you listen to the last one about the mars iris conjunctions where mars is retrograde during part of the cycle which is in its own sign and we've never had at least since i was born 1950 we've never had mars in its own sign retrograding 
at an election, and conjunct Eris, which we've only known about since 2005. So we're having three of those. And the third one happens at this particular time period, within one day. So I we didn't even know that Eris existed, okay, when when this was, when I was sharing about this, or any other astrologer for that matter, was looking into the future of Jupiter-Saturn, December 21, 2020. We didn't know that Eris would be discovered January 5, two, uh, 2005. We didn't know that all the, the craziness of this election time period. We didn't, we weren't thinking about Mars going retrograde in its own sign during an election, which has not happened for America since 1896. Okay, uh, back at that particular time period. So, which I share in the last one. And we've had close calls um, 1928, 1960, 1992, but not, dur these are 32-year cycles. I talked about these Mars-Venus cycles and Mars uh, affecting um, elections, which actually happened in 1800. So you should listen to the last one about uh, Jefferson and Adams and what happened there, which changed the course of the Constitution, adding the 12th Amendment. And then again, we had a, a Mars retrograde in uh, the second um, of Andrew Jackson, his second um, election. And then we had it again during the second, um, the, the terrible election of Abraham Lincoln that led to his assassination. And then it happened 32 years later in 1896. But then it didn't happen during the actual election of 1928, during the actual election of 1960, and during the actual election of 1992. But in, ni in, in those years, we did have Mars go retrograde after the election. And so that was influencing the time period after we had elected somebody, and then the Mars went retrograde. But Mars with Eris, you'll see that in this chart, okay, now that we've added Eris, they're within 16 minutes of each other, and within 24 hours of Jupiter and Saturn coming together, which is planting the seed of this, not just 90-plus year cycle that goes back to, the, to these cycles I'm talking about when I wrote this in 1998, and starting with Uranus and Aquarius, 1996 for seven years, and when it comes back in 2079. But that the, this great mutation into air signs, every 20 years after um, this time for 2020, Jupiter and Saturn, 2040, 2060, 2080, uh, 2100, and so on. Jupiter and Saturn will be coming together in air signs, the three air signs, Aquarius, Gemini, Libra, they'll have this routine, so to speak, just like we had in Earth signs from 1841, Jupiter and Saturn and Earth, then 1861, then 1881, then 19 to 1901, and so on, 1920, 21, uh, 1940 to 41, uh, 1960, 61, but then it didn't happen in 1980 and 81, Jupiter and Saturn came together three times in Libra, that was the anomaly. Then Jupiter and Saturn were back in Taurus in 2000, and now we're ending that. So we're in the, what we might call the both the extreme balsamic sun-moon phase. Balsamic sun-moon phase is the end of like the month, when we think of the end of each um, solar lunar cycle from new moon to the next new moon, the very end of a new moon cycle. And I'll be sharing about this um, in another podcast about what happened with America's birth chart in 1994. Um, of having a progressed new moon. So that's kind of a mini a mini subset of all this because that happened in Aquarius. So at any rate, um, this adds a whole new dimension because 
beyond what I'm saying, wow, Jupiter and Saturn, the movers and shakers, the biggest planets, they've been watched for thousands of years going way back to Mesopotamia, all Egypt, um, everywhere, India, China, uh, South America, e everywhere on the planet, the sky watchers, the magi, the astronomer astrologers, were, they could see Jupiter and Saturn. We, we didn't have smog. You could see the planets, and this is where astronomy and astrology were merged, and it was an extraordinary kind of thing with comets and planetary conjunctions, and go back to ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, ancient Rome. So many of our astrologers are going back in time and finding all kinds of secrets of, of what happened in different cultures around the world. So now here we go. I mean, this is a pretty amazing kind of thing. I don't want to really spoil the rest of it, but but um, we will go back to this and I will share more about specifics in this chart. There are parallels. There's kind of other things going on. For instance, Jupiter and Saturn are not only at the beginning of Aquarius. And if, for instance, part of the reason this is so significant is, well, this happens on December 21. Our presidents are inaugurated now on January 20th rather than March 4th. As I've shared before in other podcasts, this began in 1937. It had to do with lame duck congresses. They didn't want to go from an election time in November and wait until March 4th before the next president was, was inaugurated because we had now had rail service, we had other service, and there needed to be sort of getting the Congress and the president into a new rhythm earlier. That's what changed everything. So when Franklin Roosevelt was inaugurated March 4th of 1933, which was a big deal about that time, the Great Depression, all kinds of things shifting uh, after Pluto had been discovered, the stock market crashed, the beginning of the Great Depression, all the kind of changes with the economy, gold and silver and money type of changes and the New Deal. But that was all happening starting with the presidency March 4, 1933, and then through Congress was passed the amendment that changed everything, making the president um, and vice president inaugurated at noon uh, every four years, January 20th. And that's what sort of creates a different kind of a chart because in the past there was the March 4th kind of energy field. It goes way back to the formation of the government, the constitution, what happened in uh, 1789 and what happened a couple of years earlier with uh, the Constitutional Convention and then nine of once the ninth state, New Hampshire, ratified the Constitution in the summer. I believe it was New Hampshire. I don't want to misspeak, mis, misspeak here. Uh, the ninth state to, out of the 13, that made the Constitution valid. That led everyone to beginning the, the wheels of government March 4th of 1789, although, as Dane Rudger points out in his great book, The Astrology of America's Destiny, he said something about them not being a quorum. So even though that's the date, and he uses that chart as like the formation of the federal government, March 4th, 1789, there wasn't a quorum. It didn't start until I think it was April 5th. And as I shared before, and I think it was the last in the last uh, re, uh, podcast about the presidential power chart, this other chart about presidents using power and the challenges of that chart and how significant it is for George Washington taking the oath of office, April 30th, 1789, a little bit after one uh, in the afternoon in New York City. And that is very important in terms of people running for positions of power. I mentioned John McCain and Joe Biden and uh, President Trump and other figures because of the importance of becoming president of the United States. So we have all of these different issues. But the one thing that's fascinating, I think, in this chart for Jupiter-Saturn. So again, we now know that Mars and Eris and that whole thing that I talked about 
which can be problematic. Mars, when positive, is courage and its strength and its personal willpower and it's our passions and our ideals and so many other sterling qualities of leadership. Negatively, it's volatility. It can represent bloodshed. It can represent war and different kinds of warfare. And medically, inflammation, um, the whole bloodstream, hemoglobin in the blood that makes it turn red, uh, the iron molecule, so many different things and I've, that I've pointed out that Mars has a lot to do also, which ties up to what I was reading from the Tibetan Master DK about Christianity and all the violence, uh, all the different sects, uh, that's S-E-C-T-S, of Christianity, the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism and all the different religious views and ideas, and then the Crusades and all kinds of battle that we're still in between Christianity and Islam. So th this often has a lot to do with martial activity of wars and warring ideas. In esoteric astrology, it links up to what we call the sixth ray, where Mars and Neptune are both associated with that. And I've shared before, I think it was in the last podcast, America came into being with Mars in Gemini squaring Neptune in Virgo. We knew when the country began that Mars was in Gemini because Mars is a planet that's been known for thousands of years because we can see it, the red planet. We didn't know Neptune was out there until September 23rd, 1846. That gets put in the US chart. It's the most elevated planet. Voila, Mars and Neptune are squared. They're in a right angle. And a lot of our presidents, vice presidents, and people trying to become president have positions that activate that position. For instance, our last president, Barack Obama, Mars um, on the United States Neptune, or very close to that point, and, and Neptune elevated in his birth chart, and therefore having Mars squaring the United States Mars. And so we know the current president, who has Mars rising, and whose son is on the United States Mars, because he's a sun sign Gemini, has tried to wipe out the entire Barack Obama eight years of all the successes and so on. This is partly astrological. It's not just political. It has a lot to do with where Mars is in a person's chart, whether it's rising, whether it's setting. The previous president was not born with Mars rising. He had Mars setting. I shared before, people have different personality expression if Mars is rising close to the horizon as our current president has, or if Mars is at the midhaven, where it's often considered at least accidentally exalted, because in astrology, Mars ruling Aries is said to be exalted in Capricorn. Capricorn's the 10th sign, generally representing energies of any 10th house. So if you happen to be born or know somebody who's Mars up and elevated, that can be good because it means Mars can be sort of a surrogate Capricornian energy regardless of what sign it's in. It may be in Capricorn that would be doubly uh, exalted, so to speak, and if it's in the top of the chart. Mars rising, it doesn't have to be negative, but it can very well be. A lot of surgeons, a lot of athletes in the work of Michel Gocalan, Mars rising, very strong in their charts, other people, but particularly athletes, soldiers, surgeons, there's been a lot of research about the power of Mars, but at the same time, Mars can represent um, people who are bullies, people who um, are rash, and people who are more prone to be hot-tempered or to say things that they may regret. There's a whole bunch of shadowy Mars qualities that none of us really want to have, but we often see them in certain leaders and certain uh, officials and certain events as we're going through. We're seeing the riots. We're seeing the importance of Black Lives Matter. We're looking at the whole history of racism. There's the there's the illusion in many ways of America right or wrong. We've been the greatest country ever versus the truth of colonialism, imperialism, and what has really happened. So we have alternating 
not just facts, which I don't believe there are. I mean, facts are facts, as I've shared, because the way I got into astrology was by studying the World Almanac every year, particularly uh, in learning about sports, but also um, historical events, mathematics, numbers, percentages, um, all kinds of things that are in the actual World Almanac. The true World Almanac goes back, I think, to 1868. I, get, I put a cover of that, and I still get it every year, and it's just a compendium of, of all kinds of knowledge and facts, uh, weights, measures, um, how things work, the radius of a circle, pi, 3.14, and all these different things. There's a lot of astronomy, um, all kinds of mathematical and astronomical facts and dates in history when things actually happen. There aren't alternative dates of history, at least in the modern time. So we know, for instance, September 11, 2001, that was that day. It wasn't September 10, it wasn't September 12. I mean, so we can't really be saying, hey, there's an alternate kind of universe where that event didn't happen on that day, particularly at least in our modern times where we actually have the research and historical records of things. So now we know um, that um, one of the things about this Jupiter-Saturn at zero plus Aquarius that starts off this 180-year cycle in many ways, in the United States, it's above and elevated. Incredibly significant, the time period when this is happening. And now we know the third Mars-Eris conjunction happens within 20, 24 hours. And the sun, it's the winter solstice. You'll see the sun in the ninth house conjunct Mercury. And they're trying in a flowing relationship to the horizon, at least in Washington, D.C., where we also see Uranus alone or as the main planet by the ascendant or first house area. And I've just been sharing about, of course, the Uranian energy, which is said to rule Aquarius and which sort of started this whole article about a seven year cycle back in the late 1990s and then ending this Aquarian 90 year cycle in 2079 to 2087. I think it's also interesting that we see a lot of Piscean energy, including the moon having swept over Neptune just before this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, because the transition of the Piscean age that we're leaving of 2,160 years and the Aquarian age that will last equivalent of 2,160 years, regardless of when it begins, we see at least the moon, which in mundane astrology represents mass consciousness and the public, with Neptune, another planet that has a lot of collectivistic energy. So there's kind of a miniature in here of like the power of the Aquarian age bursting upon the world. In America, Pluto is above as well with Jupiter, Saturn, and Pallas, Pallas Athena, which is in Aquarius. The power of the sun and Mercury together, the fact that it's the beginning of a season, the winter solstice. And of course, for the whole world, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, the influenza energies are going to come in for the northern hemisphere earlier than this. But then what is this going to represent, not just in terms of the pandemic, but then with the election in the United States, if as many of us now realize or believe, there could be ongoing litigation, Supreme Court kind of things, accusations, counting of ballots, that as some people are saying, let's hope, fingers crossed, it isn't um, as bad as 2020 with Bush v. Gore and what happened after 36 days, the hanging chads. That was one state in Florida. I will share more. I've downloaded a couple of stories in the last few days about the fears of different people that we this the election may have to go uh, into the House of Representatives. And, it, and this could easily be that even if uh, the Democrats wind up with the popular vote even more substantial, apparently, than 
four years ago, which was three million more votes for Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, then it might be many more millions. But if there's controversies, if there's litigation, if there's questions about ballots and so on, it keeps going on. And there's so many different strange things about state legislatures and how they might rule depending on whether legislatures in states are Republican dominated or Democrat and governors are Republican or Democrat. So we're in a very, very um, detrimental, dissonant, confusing cycle. And this particular power is still there, Jupiter and Saturn coming together at an incredible time. But again, the fact that it's at zero plus of Aquarius, that's the next inauguration of president and vice president. And the new administration comes in or somebody's going to come in on January 20th, one way or another, whether it's the Republican ticket or the Democrat ticket or some anomalous other thing. Uh, people have started speculating, is it possible that Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House would temporarily become president because that's part of the line of succession? There's so many things that could happen between now and then. So we will get into some of this in future podcasts. But again, this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction there plus Aquarius, four years from this time period, in other words, January 20th of 2025, January 20th of 2029, January 20th of 2033, at those future inaugurations of whoever is president, vice president, there will be a re-triggering of this Jupiter-Saturn at zero plus Aquarius, because the president of the United States and the vice president and each new administration by law, by the Constitution, because of the amendment, unless we change the amendment or something else happens to America and we're not using our laws anymore, this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is that significant. So, and again, Venus, you'll see for America is in the eighth house area, but it is seven plus of Sagittarius, which is the chart we've used based on rectification for Welcome Planet Earth. And so many astrologers have worked with this uh, for the late afternoon, July 4th, 1776, the Founding of the country, Venus, seven plus Sagittarius, right on the United States Senate. That at least gives me hope that something out of all of this turmoil will come about um, to to bring us uh, extra love or understanding. By the way, the series position, the backward sea with the cross under it, which is in the 11th house, is eight plus of Pisces. That may ring a bell. That's exactly where Ceres, the largest asteroid, was when the United States was born, July 4th, 1776, and the only stationary body of the main planets, the four main asteroids, Chiron, only Ceres was not moving. That's Ceres and its history uh, has to do with America as a melting pot, the whole idea of cereals and grains, you know, being the, the, uh, uh, nurture of the world, at least in the positive sense, right now in this current administration, we're not doing that as we have done so much before. But during the time of JFK, remember that was the Peace Corps, the Alliance for Progress, the whole idea of our helping the world, and particularly through the United Nations. Now there's been, um, whether we agree with it or not, a, a kind of America first kind of a thing. Hey, what? Why isn't the world pitching in? We don't want. We shouldn't be doing providing as we have. The sort of graciousness and the uh, empathy factor for America as a government on our working with our allies and so on. That has become a problem, at least from certain views politically. It is interesting, therefore, that even though these planets are squaring each other in a right angle, and squares don't have to be bad, they could, could be helpful, we do see that Venus on the United States uh, horizon is is a pretty spectacular energy that could help all of us. 
and our relationship to our allies in the rest of the world, and just the concept of loving one another more, uh, creating greater for positive relation with our allies and other world leaders, um, as well as a reforming of our social environment, our creative artistry as a country, and just our civil kindness to one another. And then series at 8 Plus Pisces, a new formulation for farmers, for labor, um, for how we work together, a kind of a rebirth and a, um, a, a rekindling of that energy. And and this has already happened before. So this will be the, the third uh, time this year of 2020 at the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, December 21, that Ceres is at its natal position for the United States, again, which was stationary. So there's a lot more in the chart. You can explore it. Um, we will probably study this as at another time. And so there's a lot for you to be thinking about, as the Tibetan Master DK would say th through his literature so much, ponder on this. So lots of love and blessings to all of you, lots of healing, and I'll look forward to sharing you, sharing with you in Podcast 61 soon. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.